talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. G'day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the Drops kickoff for another week. My name is Nick Wasiliev. I'm back in the hosting duties once again. And God, there's been a lot of rugby that has happened between uh, the last time we talked and our, um, and now. Uh, we've got a, a World Cup that's running. We've got uh, the Japan series, which has come and gone. The Wallabies squad has just been announced. So without further ado, let's dive into all of it. We've got the we've got a lot to cover. And joining me by my side is the one and only Nathan Williamson. Nathan, how are you doing, mate? Kia ora, everyone. Yes, I am live over from New Zealand covering that. That previously mentioned World Cup, you know, the number one Australian written journal over here. <laughs> it's one, it's one of one at the current at the current moment of recording. But hey, we'll still take it. <laughs> that's a, that's your claim to fame right now. That's a, we got you're, you're the number one journal over here. Written, written journal, written, written journal, written journal. Not your knees and Sean Maloney probably still have me, but you know, <laughs> print house. <laughs> let's uh, let's kick off with the Rugby World Cup because um, God, it's been it's been such an interesting couple of weeks opening up. At the time of recording, the Wallaroos have played two games, um, one win and one loss apiece. First of all, going down seventeen forty one to New Zealand in the opener at Eden Park um, after leading seventeen nil. Such an unbelievable match um, that game was, and then coming back in and then uh, getting back into the winner's circle. Finally, uh, with a win over Scotland, 12-14 to 14 at the Northern Events Centre. First of all, actually, before we dive in to how the Wallaroos have been going, the standout players, our predictions uh, for the, the remainder of the World Cup, um, what's the vibe been like over there? It's an interesting vibe. I mean, I'm currently up at Whangarei, um, for anyone unaware, about two hours north of Auckland. Bit of a sleepy town, but, you know, they've really gotten around it. And it's been good. Like, going through that first week in Auckland, you know, the, the opening ceremony and, you know, everything that came with that. The record crowded Eden Park. was It was an incredible atmosphere. Um, and there's also, like, there was advertisement all around Auckland. Like, it was really starting to build into something nice. Um, and then Whangarei, also, you know, a decent pickup of, of fans. Yeah, you know, with no New Zealand, it was kind of what you expected, a whole kind of mesh of supporters all over the place. But it's actually been a really nice vibe around the place, you know. New Zealand's got behind it, as just just continues to go, and it's been some real exciting rugby. So it's it's actually been quite nice to follow and kind of just immerse in, and it's good to see New Zealand's really picked up on it, embraced it. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, hope, I hope you hope New Zealand will be picking up on it. Because their team's been playing really, really well. I think, uh, you know... Coming back to win to score forty one consecutive points against us, and then absolutely smashing the Welsh. You can tell that uh, they're looking to to really make a statement in this tournament, and as they should do. I mean, I think it's fair to say England were currently going into this tournament as favourites, especially after they smashed the Black Ferns in their last two previous matches a few years back. Um, would you say that before we dive in again, dive into the Wallaroos? Would you say that it's still the case? Do you think it is still? England as favourites, or do you reckon that New Zealand, or maybe even France as well, might have uh, have asked a couple of questions and challenged that notion a bit? I think it's still England's tournament to lose, to be honest. Um, 
I mean, that first game at Eden Park, my goodness, they they got they got into a Fijian style rugby with Fiji and still managed to blow them out, eighty four nineteen. And when you look at that France game, like realistically, that was always the pool game to watch out for because the way France have played England in the past, they've always been the team closest to them in terms of being able to, you know, to knock them off on this incredible win streak. But I think I've seen enough from England just to be, to be like that and just reaffirm that status of favourites heading into these knockout stages. I mean, New Zealand were good against Wales, but again, that opening 30 minutes again in Australia, like they looked all over the place. They that was, yeah, you know, sitting in the commentary in, in the press box, very much outnumbered. It was literally myself and Britt Mitchell from ESPN as, as Australians, twenty other Kiwi Janos sitting there going, "What's going on? What's happening?" They looked incredibly rusty, and sure, they've put it together since. You know that as you touched on that second half in Eden Park was clinical. They, you know, blew Wales out towards the end there, but. There's still just little signs in the New Zealand game that they're not at their best yet. And I mean, look, they've still got a pool game to go against Scotland and there's still plenty of time, but I still think England England certainly are the favourites and, you know, maybe saw enough from France to think they might get make it the best in New Zealand if they face in semi. But, you know, it's all it's all up for grabs going into this knockout stages after the final pool games this week. It is, and uh, yeah, as mentioned, yeah, one more game to go in the in the in the in the uh, in the pool section. Let's talk uh, Wallaroo performances rather. Um, we've got, of course, the uh, the win and the loss. Let's start with that uh, with that match with that game at Eden Park. Um, I actually think that that thirty opening thirty minutes is probably the best rugby I've seen an Australian side put together all year. Um, I know you may contest that, but God, the girls look good. I like uh, Shani Williams has been such a shot in the arm for that for that back line, um, and combined with you know Chancellor and Hamilton, it's really just a case of uh, of the rising tide lifting all ships, uh, in my opinion. Just seeing how the girls have progressed and progressed and progressed, um, light years away from you know where they were even a few weeks ago um, when they went down in that much closer match against the Blackburns uh, in Adelaide to to finish off their preparations. Um, oh, absolutely. And I was just going to say, maybe only that Bledisloe opener in Melbourne, that second half was probably probably the only thing that can contest it. I think bringing someone like Charney in, she was it was always seemed to be that miss. When you look at that back line, that 12 position was always one that was kind of floated around. That, you know, they tried a couple of players in it. They used Cecilia Smith from the Reds, um, Sika Percy Pali from the Brumbies. It was always just that spot that was that there was that piece missing. And Shiny Williams just brings that professionalism to this side. And a side of which is, let's face it, semi professional. It sounds so basic and simple, but it she marshals the back line around. She demands standards at training. She really just brings the best out of the, the players around her. And you know, you saw from that first carry when she she's just charged the ball over the, the advantage line that they were there to play. And all of a sudden, as you said, it when you have a twelve like that, it you know, it just builds confidence. And when you have a, a young fly half in Arabella McKenzie, who's you know, I think I think her game is very much dependent on that element of you know you can see it whether it's just the way she carries herself something as simple as the classic spinning the ball in the fingers she'll do 
Like they're, they're the signs of her confidence and that she's on. And with Shani around us, she's really, that's been a real key component of these first two games. So again, having her in, having leaders like, as you said, not only M Chancellor, but Grace Hamilton. She look, she's looked incredible. She's I, argued being one of the best players of this past two, two tests for the Warriors. Like it's, it, that first half was incredible. But yeah, the, the just all fell apart towards the end there. And, you know, it was just one of those. It was just one of those performances where you know New Zealand off the back of a strong crowd, you know, two yellow cards at the exact same time just kind of sunk all hopes. But that was still, it was still one of those performances where you you come out, you got beat by twenty five, and you, you walk away and go, you know what? That's, that's positives. They were I better off for it. it. They were better. Like we like. Okay, so uh, sorry, maybe that's the wrong the wrong way to term it. But like you could tell that they took some confidence out of that despite the result. Um, Absolutely, they, they took it into the Scotland game quite well because that Scotland game. I mean, Scotland, of course, you know they didn't they, they didn't necessarily light the world on fire during the 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 six, the six Nations, but they, they're not a they're not a pushover side. They look like a very decent side, and they were leading for pretty much most of the match. But just the girls' ability to just hang in there and then kind of come back and and particularly in that second half when they had the wind. On their side, I think it was first of all just a really good example of really strong defence in the first half because Scotland really did look like they had the measure of them for a lot of that first half because they had the wind on them and also that just seemed like their attack was a bit more uh, had a bit more threat to it. Um, the Wall of Roos defence really just hung in there really well and then they made up for it and took their opportunities in the second half when they had the wind at um, at their back and on their side. Um, but it's like it's that key thing of patience. Something which is, I think, has been missing out of a lot of Australian sides over the past couple of years. It was that knowledge of, right, we have, sure, the wind's behind, wind, we're running straight into it. And they've admitted as well that they could have, they could have been better in that first half in regards to execution and taking points when they're available in those type of conditions. But that patience to go, you know what? We know, we know we're a better side and opportunities will come if we just stay calm, stay composed. They were there to take, and we can get it done. And you had a forward pack, you know, with I mean, the players you mentioned before. But you add Eva Kapani, who was at her at her best. I think that's probably the yeah. best game I've seen out for a, a Wallaroos. Liz Partu, Ash Masters off the bench probably had one of the the wildest fifteen minutes you'll see out of a player this year. Like ridiculous. And then. Like you add it with just consistent performance around around them. You know, even someone like Laurie Kramer coming back in the fullback. She was she just ran it straight and just set the tempo early and was you know, one of those key architects behind keeping that scoreline at 12 twelve nil with an incredible cover tackle on the goal line. Like it's it was just a perfect lesson of how to stick to a game plan, stick to trust yourself and eventually get the job done. And you know, credit credit to Warriors, credit to credit to them for sticking the tide, and also yeah, also yeah, cre- shout out Kramer, Laurie Kramer as well for the conversions as well. You know, two it was tough conditions, like it was, it was a bit of a swirling wind sitting in the sitting in the good old outdoor outdoor working box, and <laughs> she missed she missed two hard so the two kicks she made were harder than harder than the one she missed in Japan to to win that game. And she was calm as ever and didn't look like missing. Like, she, it was an incredible sort of slice of redemption for someone who truly deserved it. 
Who's been the standout? Who's been the standout like rising player for you? Because really, for me, it's a toss-up between between. I mean, look, Kramer, I know has, has been coming through for a little while now. Um, Kapali's been great. Um, that game against Scotland, I think, was one on her shoulders a lot through just a strong performance at the set piece, especially the scrum. Who's the standout in uh, in your humble opinion in terms of the? I mean, of course, you've got you know the the loose forwards in you know, Perry Chancellor and Hamilton who are, who are standing up. What Williams is standing up. Uh, would you say it's a toss up between Kramer and Gapani for the real st- uh, like rising next gen players who are really kind of standing up? In terms of next gen, I mean, there's someone that we've missed and it's probably been one of the players of the tournament so far. Deanne Tarita on the wing, mm. like a 19 year old. Yeah, true. And <laughs> we. we, we we were saving it for this moment. That's why you led the question in. Yes, exactly um, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> she's a player who hasn't had much of a chance in the seventh circuit, misses com games and go and goes, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give 15 to crack. Is a bona fide superstar. Like mm. she had five tries in three games, very much held her own against one of the best wingers ever in Portia Woodman. And then Scotland was, was also meant to just not only getting getting over the line for that first try, but just getting herself involved, looking for work and getting involved, taking the ball over the line and just being an absolute menace when it comes to when it comes to breaking tackles and just getting the Warriors over the advantage line. Like she's someone who absolutely will go back into this seventh squad with her stocks more than truly raised. Yeah, you hope you certainly hope so because God, she just proven just how versatile and how much of a weapon she is on the uh, on the wing and just that back three, all three of them actually, Stewart, Kramer, Atria, have all done really, really well. It's like it's it's a lot of positives. There's lots and lots of positives here because it's it's always easy to it's it's always important to keep in mind that this is a semi-professional outfit and you're coming up against. And this is not said. This, this is not said in a critical way at all. You're coming up against, you know, teams uh, like you know the the England side who are all professional, um, and they're 28, playing... 28 professional contracts in that squad. Mm, exactly. Com- so compared to two, and both the sevens. Exactly. It's, that's right. It's not. It's not critical. It's it's one of those unfortunate facts that you just that again. Do we like that it's a fact? Of course not. Again, like realistically heading forward, 100% has to go to a professional program. But again, it's just, it's one of those things. It kind of puts in the stock just how well they've, they've, they've come in these first couple of games. And then to see how far they can go and just see the improvements that we've seen simply just from Adelaide, you know, a month ago. It's been, it's been an absolute wonder to watch. The, the, the final kind of will kind of lead on to one kind of question before we talk predictions for the rest of this uh, for the rest of the World Cup, um, well at least for the remainder of the pool sections uh, of this of the World Cup. Um, do we think right now, kind of seeing as we were on on the subject earlier, has there would would you say that the Waller, the Wallaroos have probably been you know, realistically, realistically speaking, we were predicting that uh, you know New Zealand would be would be taking the lead in one pool. Uh, England would definitely be leading in Pool C, and Pool B was really where things were going to be interesting because it's essentially a toss up between. Um, I mean, that's a, that's you know the pool of death if there is one because the US can play, Japan can play, 
Um, Italy and Italy, of course, have really shown a lot of teams up in uh, over the last couple of of years, and and I think you know Canada currently is leading. Uh, would you say they're the big, they're the kind of the 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 most the biggest surprise package from the from all the teams that we've currently have here? Because we know who is going to be, who is guaranteed to be in their come quarters. Do we know who is? Uh, do, we, would we consider the Wallaroos in that surprise package? I think it's an interesting point. It's, it's, I think it was one of those ones. Australia was, in my opinion, was the big unknown team heading in. You knew kind of what to expect. You knew England, France, New Zealand were going to be your top sides competing throughout the tournament. As you said, you knew that Group B, USA, Canada, Italy, it was going to come out of one of those three. Australia, because we had faced New Zealand for the past, you know, three of the last five tests and then had fallen to USA and Canada in tough games, you really didn't have a barometer on it. Like, you, it's one of those ones. How? Do, what can you sort of take out of constantly getting beat by one of the best sides? Like, where does that truly sit you? I think that was the unknown. And Scott won was a good first test. Realistically, you, you kind of look at the rankings and think, you know, the seventh team play, placing 10. As you know, I put it this way: I've seen a dollar two favourites win easier than what they did. Mm. Whether that was and now whether that was a fair reflection on the, on the two sides, I don't don't think so. But that's another point to be made. I just think, yeah, I think they're probably the. I, I'd probably say, yeah, they're probably the surprise package, just purely out of the fact of it was a surprise what was going to be brought up. Like mm. we, generally, generally the team that was the most unknown heading into this. So. You know, first, first, I guess, you know, New Zealand, as you said, was always going to be probably penciled in as a defeat. But, you know, getting, getting through Scotland was the first test. I think Wales is going to be your next, is the next one. And that might be your true barometer of, where, right, where's this team actually sit? It's interesting you say that. For me, the real, it's a toss-up between us and Fiji. Because uh, I, I think we, we should talk about the fact that, like, that amazing game of Fiji uh, beating South Africa. Um, which I think is it's Fiji's first ever Women's World Cup, first win mm. um, in a Women's World uh, in in the World Cup, um, and like considering we were we you know we started our our preparation this year against them, they, the Fiji team have really come up through the Australia system and and with, with Super W winning that, um, and then we we were able to get to get get a game over them uh, in our warm up preparation. Um, for me, I reckon I'm still thinking that uh, even though they've got a game against France, which is obviously a very tough, uh, a tough um, matchup considering the strength of that French team. Realistically, the at least the you know second or third strongest team in the world. Um, I reckon regardless of that, that's going to be a game that a lot of folks will watch with a lot of interest. Um, and hopefully they they manage to squeeze through into one of those two positions at the end. Um, Let's talk predictions because each uh, pool has got three, has got two matches to go. Um, we've got to finish up uh, in pool B. Japan will play uh, Italy, um, which will be basically a fight-off for you know Italy kind of trying to guarantee finishing in the in quarters positioning. Canada will be playing the United States uh, in a clash of the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, in pool C, France, as mentioned, will be play, playing Fiji. England will be up against South Africa. Um, and lastly, in Pool A, Australia playing Wales, New Zealand up against Scotland uh, in the in the final matches this weekend. 
Um, predictions. Let's start with Pool A. Let's do uh, Australia, Wales, New Zealand, Scotland. Uh, who do you think is tipped to win, and where will the games be won and lost? Uh, let's start Australia, Wales. Um, I think where this game will be won and lost will be in that in that forward pack. Um, I mean, Wales showed they had a really strong scrum. Took it to New Zealand in, despite the loss on Sunday. But again, Australia's in a rare sign from the Australian side have been dominant in both games in terms of scrum wise. So I think that's that. There's your key element, and also that battle between Jasmine Joyce and uh, and Bianca Tarita slash Maya Stewart. Um, I think Australia's good enough to win. I, you know, I'll say I'll say that they win the close one. Like, I think getting that exposure, you've got to remember as well, getting that exposure of Six Nations rugby, that was, you know, that was the first time since the last World Cup a lot of these players, of the Walrus had played them. So with that full 80 minutes under it, combined with Wales coming off a, a short turnaround after a really, really thumping loss, um, yeah, give me Australia. And then New Zealand, will, even though I think they've secured their spot, they'll still run through Scotland. Yeah, they will. They're going to run through Scotland. I agree. I think right now, from the games that I've seen so far, more is pointing to me for a Wallaroo win right now than uh, than a Welsh win. Um, but I do think that, considering how close the matches of really have been between all three sides, Wales, Scotland, and the and the Wallaroos, I honestly predict it's going to be a, a margin of less than seven, regardless of the result. It's going to be less than a converted try. Um, very close game. Very, and, you know, I would, wouldn't mind that as well. Like if, like no, this is where you, this is where you also this is where you start looking at quarterfinals. And we were kind of talking before on, before we went on air. You start thinking, well, it's like for anyone who's unaware, it's like first. So your top three, one, two, three are your pool winners, basically, but on points difference. And then from there, it's basically your next two. Fourth to six are your second place, also like decided by highest points, and seventh, eighth are your you know third place finishes. And we start looking at things, and you go, well, New Zealand and England probably end up as your first two, unless Canada get away with a bonus point against USA. You then yeah. look at fourth. Fourth is France. Let's face it; probably they're if they they're going to beat. And spoiler for the other prediction, I'm, I've got them beating Fiji even though Fiji will bring a, their, their exciting brand of rugby to them. So there's fourth. Fifth, you then start looking at, you know, if we beat Wales, if we beat Wales, you're finishing fifth or sixth. And you start looking at it and go, well, who would you rather be playing? Would you rather take a England side, which is, has not been beaten in 27 games, 28 games, or do you take a Canada side, which we lost to by, I think, about 10 in really greasy conditions in the pack four, you know, with this team looking a whole lot more confident since then. 12, to be correct. It was 22-10 defeat in, in Whangarei, actually, out of all things. So, and you look it up and you go, well, you'd almost rather be, you, you, that's the thing, you can never guess with this sort of, what's going to happen with all this sort of stuff. You know, Canada might come away with the bonus point, but you'd rather, you'd rather almost finish sixth and just, Try your luck against the Canada and just hope you know you can. You'd, I think you'd, you'd much rather face them than a France, New Zealand, or England. Let's face it, and just try your luck from there and see what happens. So basically, you're saying we should lose. No I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm not saying we lose. I'm saying we win, but we keep it close. 
Yes. Realistically, I'm saying this now. Canada might just go out there and you know put a bonus point win on USA. They all of a sudden finish second, and you and that plan all of a sudden will throw out the window. And you end up playing England. So exactly, like exactly because England are coming third right now. <laughs> so you know it's all it's all trying to predict things and do do math, which we've already said. Not one of the strong points of this pod. No, not one of the strong points of the podcast. Don't know how to do math. Um, yeah, good predictions. I like it. I feel like we you, you covered uh, you covered pool C in a nutshell there because we were talking a lot about the those other predictions there. Oh, pool pool. You talked about the other pools a lot. Let's just quickly do like a two second wrap up of the other two pools because we've got Japan, Italy, ca- uh, Canada, USA, and Pool B. Thoughts there? All right. So Italy, too way too good. Should be Japan. Um, Canada and USA, as you know, you've probably I've shown my hand. I reckon will be closer than what people think. Um, but Canada's still good. I mean, it, they're they're on fire and they're number eight, Sophie de Goody. Oh my goodness, just an absolute gun player. And if any super rugby, super W club is listening, please sign her up because she's just an absolute tank. Um, and then for the other games, yeah, in England by a lot, France. I want to say by a lot, but it'll be a high-scoring game. Yeah, I think so too. Sounds like a. I reckon it'll be something like a, you know, a nineteen twenty to forty or sixty or something like that. Like it'll be something like that England game, but probably. But I don't see Fiji conceding eighty-four points. No, I definitely don't. Um, Nor will they care if they concede eighty-four points as long as they, because they will just keep attacking no matter what. As long as they score eighty-five points, that's what matters. Yeah, they don't care. It's like that South African game. You realize, like ball in playtime, which you know everyone criticizes. You know, you know for some tests you can get it like like almost high twenties, low thirties, thirty-eight and a half. Jeez. They just, they just, and again, whoever you understand, if you watch those final five minutes, you'll get what I'm saying. They just don't like taking penalty goal is just not in their vocabulary. They'll just like they'll just tap it and just go straight away, and you're just like, jeez, okay. And it's just such an exciting brand of rugby. Like you know, there could there could be a hundred points in that game against France, and you know what? It'd be a great game. To, it's gonna be a great game to watch regardless. Poor us, poor us. We have to watch rugby. Poor us. It's a tough. I know. It's, it's tough. Such. It's a tough life. It's a tough life with such a excellent World Cup happening. We'll keep a watch. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll be covering the uh, the next round in our next podcast, and and hopefully you know we'll be staring down the barrel of Wallaroo's quarterfinal appearance once again, and hopefully they can they can push towards trying to break that third place finish in 2010. You never know uh, right now. Um, great work, Nathan, as the number one journalist over number one written journalist over in New Zealand. Take the claim to fame. Um, let's talk. Well, uh, I can. Yeah, let's uh, quickly touch on uh, on the Japan series uh, while we're here. Australia A, of course, going uh, over to Japan um, and winning a series, which is so nice to say that we actually find, like, it feels forever since we last, like, won a series against another team, uh, defeating uh, the Japan 15 in the first game, 34 to 22, second game by a single point, 21-22, and then finally, in the third game, which was played over the weekend, defence well and truly went out the goddamn window. 100 points scored um, in Osaka, um, 52 to 48 in favour of the men, red and white. Um, first of all, hey, talk me through who the standouts were. I mean, obviously, we'll get to the Wallaby squad because there's an obvious answer there. But um, far out. Wasn't this series great? It felt like a tonic 
after the after you know the disappointing result of the rugby championship, please tell me that the big the big wigs up in rugby Australia are going to keep this going. I've got to hope so. Like it's <laughs> it's one of those things. Like it's incredible what happens when you. It's just a rugby series, which I know it's going to sound really harsh to say, but like there was there was nothing on the line. Like there was no you know there was no official test for Japan. You know it's an A series for us. But, and it just bred two teams who were willing to be like, all right, let's just throw the ball around and see what happens. Mm. Which is which is the Japan style of playing rugby. But like, you know, Australia eh, just just embraced it and was just like, all right, you're gonna have a shootout. Sweet, let's let's keep firing, see who ends up with more points at 80 minutes. And like, it was a really refreshing band of rugby. Like, even you know, in terms of standouts, again, it's pretty obvious in that Wallaby squad. But like, you know. Players like, I was going to say, players outside the Wallaby squad that stood out, just to, to start with that. You know, you look at someone, I thought, you know, for his touches, particularly in that last test, I thought Hamish Stewart was solid. I thought, you know, Brad Wilkin continues to be one of the most underrated players in Australian rugby. Um, Dylan Peach, for all his touches coming off the bench, he was solid. Um, you know, even someone like Ned Hannigan in that third test delivered delivered a solid performance. Um, I think there was so many, you know, Tane Edmund in that second test, kicking us to victory. Like, there were so many of those players, of those, you know, players you just didn't know how they're going to handle that step up. That really, really shone. And, you know, as, as you as we alluded to, it's decided a Wallaby, well, plenty of those 50-50 goals in the Wallaby squad, and that's exciting to see. It reminded me of, like... I didn't want to say the Wallabies of old, but it was just like there was a back in the nineties. There was like a there was something about the Wallabies play that was just clear confidence, exciting, entrepreneurial rugby. It, it looked like these guys were just playing. They had no no no. They didn't weren't overthinking stuff. That it felt like there was nothing to worry about because really realistically, there's nothing on the line. It's not a representative game, so they just played, and they played. They just it was just instincts football. It, it was, was instincts football. And that's what was so interesting about it is because, and this is why I'm actually like, I really hope they keep Australia A going because instinct, this if this is going to be the style of instincts football um, and they get used to playing like this in gold, that is what the Wallabies might start to play like again because that's the next generation we're talking about here. Like playing with the, the confidence and the trust and more importantly, just the highlighting the fun of it all. Um, that is... And so not, not only that, but like it's just it gives it gives you that other kind of not team to support, but it gives you another avenue. If you're not, you know, uh, if you, you've gone through the, the you know heartache of, of the past kind of twelve months as a Wallabies fan, as you said, watching stuff like this is just it, it's that palate cleanser that get, keep you in, you know attached, keep you involved, keep you watching these next generation of stars coming through in an exciting style of rugby that may, could potentially make a fan go, go in 2023, oh, yeah, I know I this players, you know, I saw him do this, this, this with Australia A. And just, it just builds, it keeps building that connection with the game when, you know, results at the highest level might not be, might not be going our way. The only negative is that, like, it's, like, I think six matches this year uh, the, the, the Australia A team has played and they've actually, and they've won four. And I think there's been like a meme going around of people jokingly saying that Australia A is now actually ranked higher than the Wallabies, which, um, <laughs> to be honest, I think it's kind of hilarious because I mean they've, they've picked up some pretty big scouts for their trouble with the uh, with Fiji and Tonga and, and Japan 
the Japan 15. Effectively, I mean, that's like it's coached by the same guys, the same head coach. Pretty much three quarters of the squad is literally the the Japanese team. It's Japan. It's what it yeah. is. It's, it's oh, Japan. It's, it's Japan uh, with like three or four tr- guys that are like trialing out. But like, it's... They'll, I think they've got a trial against... They're going to match against the All Blacks coming up, I think. Like, it's going to be a very similar team than the what they threw up against Australia. Right? So, it's... I think it's just... Please, more of these series. Like, I really... I, um, if anyone is listening at HQ, which... I mean, you have to because Natho, Natho's there. Uh, he's on no, the you don't. You don't. You don't. <laughs> listen to this. Um, like, if there's any way you can keep Australia A going and make this a permanent thing, please do because just it's so great to see kind of these young guys coming through. My only complaint, and I, it's funny, I was making, I was having a discussion with, of course, Rugby Reg, um, and he made a mention, I think, because jo- um, Fluke is currently doing is doing this a bunch of trials and things, and 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 then Rugby Reg, of course, was saying get Fluke in the Australian side, uh, and it made me wonder why didn't Fluke make it into the, into Australia A. That, I think it's because he's still coming back from injury. So that was the whole. Back from, oh, was he still coming back from injury? Oh, there you go. And there's, there's a whole other like issues with visas and stuff like that. That like kind of apparently that process going in because like they're still under restrictions. Really stuff with a, with a bunch of players. Like mm. Harry Wilson is the main one that was supposed was supposed to go on Australia A with Japan. Got picked and then. Um, New Zealand side to like got to play New Zealand, New Zealand. So they kind of had to pull him like out of that squad, and then yeah, couldn't get him, couldn't get him back over there because the restrictions were still pretty tough. Jeez. So I, I'm guessing it's a similar thing with Fluke. They probably didn't know how because I think he's still coming back from. I want to say it was a shoulder injury that he they suffered midway through the season. So I think they're just they would other a combination of not sure or. Just wanting, just wanting to see how he's pulled up. Ah, uh, fair, fair. Well, hey, look. Either way, get him in the squad at some point. He will be in a, in an Australia A jersey soon, and of course, indeed, a Wallabies jersey. Um. Oh, he's so he's so good at such a young age. Yeah. Let's uh let's talk Wallabies. Um, and talk about this uh, this t- this uh, squad that has been announced because I have some opinions. I have some opinions on this squad. Um. Dangerous. Well, yeah. Dangerous I, times. I know. Good. <laughs> No one gives a fuck what I say, but I will say that uh, it is just there is a lot of interesting things about this squad. Um, some good, some bad. Um, uh, there's, you know, obviously some very interesting inclusions, uh, especially from that Australia A side. Good to see Banks is back in there. Jock Campbell's in there. Ben Donaldson is uh, is one of the big notable inclusions, kind of, you know, that next batch of, of tens coming through over at the Waratahs. Um, Matt Gibbon as well is a, has, has earned the call up as well. Um, Ned Hannigan returns to the squad as well, um, and of course we've got to talk about Marky Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Noangui Taase also actually making into making it into the extended squad too. Um, first of all, before I before I go on my rant about the squad that I that I always do, Nathan, opinions? Are we excited? Are we optimistic? And more to the point, how many? Matches? Do you think with this squad we can win on this tour? I, I guess to start off, I think it's an exciting squad. Like I think it's one of those ones, you know, because we've had this Australia A side, uh, this Australia A series, we've been able to really see that contest of positions. You know, you know, Marky Mark versus Sully, Donaldson versus Edmund, and it just kind of built that 
feel that these stories and narratives leading into the announcement on Sunday, I think it's a well-balanced squad. I think it's, you know, reward, rewards players with form. I know there are some contentious spots. I feel, feel sorry for Harry Wilson. He cops some serious bad luck to not be on that Australia A tour. And then essentially, as I can't remember who put it on Twitter, but it sums up perfectly that Harry Wilson is probably the first player ever to miss a Wallaby squad purely essentially for the reason of being picked in a worldly squad. <laughs> like, go figure, go figure. Um, but, like, Lange Gleeson has been incredible. So you have to, you give him a shot. Um, but no, it's, there's exciting players. There's a good balance to it. Um, you know, again, Banks being back. Banks is, Banks, you just keep him as an option for fullback. You know, he's still technically Australian contracted player till end of November. So he'll count, he'll count. Um, and yeah, in terms of how many games they win, I don't know I've kind of broken it down like this. I uh, think Italy and Wales, I think are the games you have to win. France and Ireland, they're top two teams for a reason. And Scotland is that pass or foul game. So for me, if I'm looking at this squad and, you know, we missed one of the, the biggest inclusions as well in a certain flanker by another Michael Hooper never coming back in. Never, never heard of him. Never heard of him. You know, de- decent product coming out of Manly. Heard good things about him. Um, Manly. <laughs> but, um, but realistically, I think three games has to be the benchmark we set for this team. Like, particularly after going through a spring tour last year where we were 0 from 3. Like, if we end up having to go to a World Cup where, like, our last eight games, we are... Anything, you know, if we go in two from eight, one from eight in our last eight games in Europe, that's alarms. Alarms sound at that point. If you can get to a stage where you you end this year three from five, you can you put a, a disappointing rugby championship behind you and go, you know what? We're probably on the build to the World Cup and we've seen signs that we're taking the right steps. We're winning in, in the conditions that we would have to play in World Cup football. So we can take we can take some positives out of it. I that's got, just got to be the benchmark in my view. Yeah, uh, for me, you need to, there is no holes barred around this. This tour has to be successful. If you're a Wallabies fan, or if you're you know particularly, I think we know that there's been growth with this side. We know that Rennie is clearly heading this team, pushing this team into a positive direction. They're doing well. Um, in terms of there's clearly a good sense of execution that is coming, but you need W's. You need W's now. Um, there's no, um, like, it's 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 critical now to act, considering the consistency has been such a problem this year, and we know, again, we know the reasons why. We've been talking about it every single podcast that we've been, we've been coming on here. Um, we, don't, you, we can talk blue in the face, but at the, at the end of the day, of course, wins are what are critical here. And I think it's yeah, it's time. It's time for for a positive tour. Opinions on this squad first and foremost. <clears throat> I think they're bringing in a bunch of guys way too early. Um, in all honesty, uh, Donaldson is realistically speaking, Donaldson, Nguyen Tarse, uh, have only really had two proper seasons of Super Rugby. Um, if they're going to just be in the extended squad, that that I can get, I can get behind, but I don't know if it's uh, a good idea necessarily to pick them into starting sides and starting teams. 
Um, you know, Wilson getting left behind is annoying. Vunavalu, like, how much has people been talking about Vunavalu and he hasn't even barely been given the chance to show, uh, to do, to really show his stuff? And yeah, he was, I think I do agree with that he was kind of shown up by Marky Mark um, in the Australia A series. But at the same time, I mean, the, I felt like I barely even saw him apart from in that first game. Uh, but that's, like, that's right. That's your problem, and that's 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 realistically why he finds himself in a position. Is he he this was the chance. This is always the chance that that people kind of put down for Vinavalo to be like, all right, you know, he hasn't got a chance at well, Wallabies. Let's see what he does in Australia. Right? And as I, Dave Rennie put it best, when you have Tom Banks come back into a squad, you have Jock Campbell in into a squad as well. Again, both both of them outplayed Vinavalo on that Australia Ray tour. You then look at you know development, and you look at uh, you look at super. You take twenty twenty two as just the sample this year. I would argue Nwangani Tawasi played better than Vunavalu in Super Rugby Pacific, particularly especially the second half of the year. Even even though if he didn't sure he didn't start the year for the Waratahs, but he finished the year with seven tries in nine games. It's incredible fate, and you know, I parlayed that into better performances of Australia A. Like, and I agree with you, and I'd probably cut you off mid rant, but I, I agree. I agree with you that you know I wouldn't start him straight away. I think there there's a hierarchy, and in terms of outside backs that have been selected on this Wallaby squad, he is still last. He's still behind Campbell. He's still behind Banks. He's still behind Tom Wright. And, you know, if you look at if you look at who comes onto who replaces Marika Crombetta for that opening test in Scotland, he's not. I, he wouldn't be in contention for me just yet. Donaldson is a, maybe a slightly different issue. I I have said as well, it is very early to, for him to be kind of brought into to an Australian setup. And with Bernard Foley unavailable for the final test against Wales, he probably, you got to think he probably will come in for all of that game or the Italy game. But I think it, it was just a case of I think that just shows that gap that we've always talked about between between the current you know next generation of fly halves that we have and that in between which we just don't have of that third type you know as I said the third guy we can bring in who we know is going to be an experienced player that can do a role it's just not there so I think the Donaldson is it's just purely a necessity rather than oh uh, you know let's take a kid over and. Yeah, you know, these development players, as they called them in the past. Yeah, I still think it's like I, I just worry about that. I worry that he will get he'll get brought into early. If you're going to bring him in, yes, then it would. Then obviously that Italy game is the test. But considering where the, the how critical this series this this uh, tour is, I, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea to leave. We're at a point now. You're you're 12 months out from the World Cup. You really need to. Uh, you really need to actually start to nail down and confirm what this final side is going to look like. I think Donaldson is something like he needs at least another full season of Super Rugby. In all honesty, in in all honesty, um, Lalesio would often would when Foley is unavailable, Lalesio is the go is the go to for me purely because he's just got more time under his belt. Um, with Hodge coming in as a backup, um, because I think Hodge did show that he has actually got. Pardon the pun, uh, considering his boot, but some legs to the role of playing at ten. He can sl- he's been able to slot into that quite well. 
um, from the result of that Argentinian game, and also from other instances where he has played in the in, in the back line a bit. Um, the other, but going back to rant mode, I do question uh, the idea of still bringing overseas players in, um, and this is particularly in regards to Skelton. No disrespect to the player. I mean, the dude's a gun. Let's not deny it. The, the dude is a gun and has been killing it overseas. But um, last, when we tried this over, over, you know, on the tour last year, bringing in a whole bunch of guys, it was clearly a, a key issue that emerged, and it's the issue that you know the Wallabies have been dealing with all year, and that is cohesion. The simple truth is that uh, Skelton hasn't been playing with the people around him. I mean, yes, he's been he's been playing in England and he's been playing well there, but that's because you know the reason he's playing so well is because he's literally been playing with those guys week in week out. You drink, you bring him into the Wallaby squad, I worry. Yes, he's he's got the physicality, he's got the skills, but does he know the game plan? That's my concern and my worry. Um, that's the end of my negatives on this squad, though. I was going to say just just a point on that, like. Would you make the argument that, given he was in the squad last year, got that chance to be in that environment and was quite was only used off off the bench? Can you make the argument that that was essentially that point of getting him used, getting used to a game plan and what to expect from the Australian setup? I mean, potentially, but it's been a year since then. Like that was the England game last year at Twickenham. It's been a but year I, since then. I mean, the, the game has has developed a lot. I mean, you could, the, the the players have played a good ten or eleven test matches since then. But not, I mean, not much would have changed. Like realistically, most of it would have stayed very similar. And I, my my thought is, my around Skelton, and I know that there's a lot, lot of people share share your view hundred percent, and I get, I get it. But when you you have a, someone like that, you know, you have someone like that readily available to you. I I just don't think we're in a position to be saying, nah, I think we're good at second row. Given how much we've seen, you know, we've seen injuries to a Caden Neville. We've seen that Darcy Swain is suspended. When you have that, when you have overseas slots, it's kind of just like, well, if he's over there and available, and you may you may as well use him purely just to have a better understanding of what to expect in terms of a stylistic matchup from these European nations. Someone who lives, breathes, and dies that type of rugby. So. I, I think it's just worth it's it's worth having me around the squad, like real and realistically. If you're looking for another second rower, who's missed out that would have would have come in? Well, that's a good question because there's been a lot of second rowers this year that have uh, have made their way through the squad. But oh. still, like, because I mean, was there any particular reason why no Holloway's in? We've got so Holloway's in. Frost is in. Um, is there any particular reason why Arnold was Arnold included? No, he wasn't. Arnold's really... Arnold's part of the, um, Japan. Oh, he's part J- of the Japan issue screen. now. Yeah. Um, same same as Marika. Jesus. That's... And what about Leota? Has he been injured? As like, because I mean, yeah, that's a that's a, a ruptured Achilles. I want to say. So he's injured as well. He's he's like. M- I I don't know the recovery for that type of injury, but put it this way. Yeah, Rupsley Killy suffered in September. I think that's a nine-month injury. He could be likely to be back for Super Rugby. Fair enough. And, of course, Swain's out due to, due to uh, the, the ban. Um, I think I would argue, yeah, Swain's, 
you know, Swain's out because of the band, but I think also on that Aussie tour, he got jumped by Nick Frost and Caden Neville. Yeah. I'd make that argument. Mm. Like, and which is, again, the side that no care was willing to see as well, that when under this whole, oh, he shouldn't be able to, you know, serve that band during Australia A, that realistically not being on that tour is probably knocking down a couple of spots. But, mm. and, yeah, and that, that's my, my argument is, you know, yeah. You had an overseas spot available. There's probably no one else you bring in. You know, I, I'm thinking that off the top of my head, the next best lock is probably Ryan Smith from the Reds. I, yeah. I would, it's just worth having around. Like, Uru, Uru can play in the second row, doesn't he? Again, a 6-8 lock combo, but mainly will play 6 or 8. The only argument you can make is we already have enough lock cover, so you probably you could yeah, make the, the argument. Looking at this, the more I'm thinking that's the case, yeah. <laughs> that's, skel- that's Skelton. You could replace Skelton with Harry Wilson. Yeah, you could. You could. But well. even still, like... Like it, regardless, though, and I, and I feel like we're being we've been quite critical here, um, and I and I will finish with this, and that I think the big positive for me to take away here is I the one thing I'm clearly there's a there's going to be an injection of overseas players, injection of of young blood, and you know we've got some returning leaders as, as well. We should you know of course mention the return of Michael Hooper, um, and honestly I think that there is good. Uh, bones here for you know the new blood return of leaders and overseas players combined with you know the guys that have clearly been established within the squad this year there's a good base here for consistency to start to emerge and that is what's critical um there's a there i think there is a key consistency uh question or key consistency answer makeup in this squad here and that is something that I think Rennie desperately needs with this team, um, which is why I think, you know, this particular tour is of um, real significance, not just in the context of, you know, his time as coach. Um, everyone's, of course, been been talking about that 37% winning success rate, but get a few, get four or five games under your belt and uh, the conversation suddenly changes very quickly as well. Uh, I think n- not only that, I think there's... When you start looking at like a breakdown position by position, there's I think you now start seeing that depth that's already been built with a whole bunch of these players injured. You look at you look particularly look at those you can look at the locking options we had before. You start deciding between Matt Phillip, Nick Frost, Neville, Holloway, Skelton. Back back three. What do you now do with you? You now again you have Holloway, Valentini, Hooper, Mick Wright, Samu. Even Lungy Gleason to try and fit in the three spots. That's all of a sudden a tough discussion to have. Mm. But, you know, even centers, Lalakai Fagetti, uh, Hunter Paisami, what do you do there at 12? Yeah, fullback. Andrew Callaway's been sold there, but you also get Tom Banks back. You get mm. a bunch of wing options. Like all of a sudden, there's a, that real competition for spots in a good way with players that. A lot more players, I believe, than six months ago that have proven at that international level. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Look, it's it, and I think it is the one positive to come out of what's been such a negative period of time this year, and that is just the the, the depth question that comes up. And again, as a as a final point, God, we do need some wins in Europe. I think uh, we mentioned this in like a, a recent 
recent podcast we did, but the last win that we actually had managed in Europe was back in 2018 when we beat Italy. Uh, when it wasn't Italy, the last time we've beaten a, a tier one side in Europe was Wales in 2017. Uh, we need a W. Yeah. We need some badly. W's. We need badly. Some W's. Really, really badly. Let's, and let's, and it's particularly a team not named Italy, let's face it. A team not named Italy. No disrespect to Italy, but a, I mean, you're going into that game as a favourite. Realistically speaking, um, even though Italy have shown they can beat, you know, your South Africa's on any in any day of the week, and they've definitely shown that they can are, are on the up after they beat Wales in, in Cardiff earlier this year. But God, please, some, we need some Ws badly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps us up uh, for for uh, for rugby for this for this week in the last couple of weeks. As mentioned, uh, we'll talk about the. Uh, you know, the Women's World Cup, which will continue on um, this weekend. As mentioned in Pool A, Australia will be up against Wales. New Zealand will be up against Scotland. In Pool B, Japan will, will go up against Italy. Canada will face the United States. And then in Pool C, France will versus Fiji and England will versus South Africa. So probably next time we pod will be uh, uh, in time for the quarterfinals, which will uh, be taking place uh, where you are, Natho, uh, and uh, over in Auckland as well, um, over at the the Northlands Events Centre and uh, Watari Stadium. I hope I'm pronouncing, I'm probably pronouncing that absolutely horrific, but uh, got to get my pronunciation right. Um, and we will, uh, and we'll hopefully be uh, staring down the barrel of hopefully maybe seeing uh, the Wallaroos maybe pushing for a semi-final placing. Let's hope so. It should be a really exciting weekend of rugby and you know, with now Australia, Australia on, get behind it. Because, I mean, that, that game on Saturday, 2.15 slot, perfect timing to watch. Yeah. We should also mention as well... Uh, oh, 12, sorry, 12.15. I'm, I'm on New Zealand time. You Jesus are Christ. on New Zealand time. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's all sleepy times over there, which is, uh, which is fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll also quickly mention as well, the, uh, the, there's a whole bunch of other games going on as well in the under-16s and the under-19s. Um, rugby here in Australia. Uh, the last couple of games that I caught, uh, the, War- the um, Waratahs had, have had a couple of good outings. I think they beat the Brumbies on the weekend. Oh, smoked them in 16s and 19s. Put, exactly. I think it was 51-10 and 57-15, I want to say, 16s and 19s respectively. Yeah. Did you catch a bit Some... of this game? I caught, I caught a little bit of the Waratahs-Brumbies uh, match, and uh, it was... Like uh, I thought, the Brumbies for the for a lot of the game, game put up a decent fight, but it was you know, it was clear that the, the depth of the of the of the Waratahs just proved too strong in the end. Oh, yeah, couldn't couldn't put it better myself. They just they play such a seeing some of that talent coming through. It's really exciting, and you know a lot. Let's face it, a, a lot will head league. You know, but if we can keep just some of the main guys around in Union, it's going to be so good. You know, when you, you see names, you see like, you know, a Tom Tom Far Jones, you know, just that Zach Fitler, um, you know, these guys with absolute like league and union royalty blood in them, playing union and playing a really exciting style. Like it's it's awesome to see. And then yeah, nineteen that that's sixteens and then nineteens came out and just they look so good in that second half and the end of that first half. Um Clem Hallahallow, if you have a lot of those around, Queensland Prem would, again, recognise the name. He's 
realistically, and this would probably be my bold prediction for twenty three, he can he can do a Lane Gleason. Oh, maybe Jesus. not. Maybe not push for a World Beast squad like for a World Cup, but like be that type of player that. 2023 is just a breakout super rugby season for him if he gets the chance. He is, he is that good. You heard it here first, which is... Uh, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be curious to see if, uh, if that is the case. I should also shout out... We also should shout out the under-19s. Uh, Queensland team also uh, won a game against the President's 15 on the weekend as well, um, which was, uh, again, a, another big dominant, dominant performance there. A lot of rugby that, stuff going on behind the that, that development 15. Yeah, the development 15, that's right. Yeah, that, that, that's before they... So, yeah, I think they were trying a bunch of law um, innovations over there as well. I'm not sure how successful it was, but, again, they're, they're building towards a to, to, uh, Reds tour to Japan. You know, Rebels went over to Japan and smoked um, Kintetsu, I think, like 52-15 or something like that on the weekend as well. So, again... People want to find a replay of that. That's a good game to watch as well. So, yeah, whole a lot of a lot of rugby going in the background, which is really nice. Considering in the past, we've kind of we've been at similar points, thinking, so how are we making up, you know, three or four months without rugby, and where's this gap gap in games come from? All of a sudden, it just slowly going along in the background. Sorry, fifty to seventeen was the score for the Rebels Jeez. against Kintetsu. Bloody hell, the demolition. Killed him. So, like, again, a whole whole bunch of stuff brewing in the background that you just kind of that wets the appetite before we get to the spring tour at the end of the end of the month. Headlined by you, the Rugby World Cup going on right here in New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. It's a tough time to be a rugby fan, is it not? Um, it always is. <laughs> uh, thank you so much again, as always, Nathan. I appreciate uh, all the time, all the work you do, and uh, stay safe over there in New Zealand. We'll. Uh, We'll meet up again in a week or so to talk about the next uh, next period of the Women's Rugby World Cup. And to everyone listening, thanks for, for tuning in. Drop us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be looking to do a couple more episodes before uh, the, the tour over in Europe. Um, we'll catch you the next time around. But what did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sirly Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo, very good, very good. <laughs>